This morning, I invite you to open your Bible, and I hope you have your copy of God's Word. And we're going to be talking about today, uh, talking about from God's Word, empower, in this series, Empowered to Advance. In Acts chapter 1, verse 8, the Lord says to the church, uh, these early believers, He said, when the Spirit has come upon you, you will be my witnesses, both in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost part of the earth. The early apostles began to proclaim Jesus Christ. On the day of Pentecost, the power of God fell. There was a baptism in the Holy Spirit, and the church was endued with power from on high, just as God had said. At, those, at that outpouring, the time of celebration of the fullness of the harvest coming, was the pouring out of God's Spirit on the church. And thousands of people heard the gospel. And they were, they were they were spoken to by God's Spirit, convicted of their sin, and they ran to Jesus Christ and three thousand souls were added to the church in that one day. Amen? It was God's miraculous... How many of y'all believe that God's still moving powerfully and miraculously today? And Peter and John are on their way to the temple. The church was meeting. They had all things together. They shared with one another. The end of Acts 2 shares with us that God took this multitude of, of people and made them to become one and they would meet every day in the temple near Solomon's colonnade and they would preach and teach about Jesus and what it meant to be kingdom disciples. And they were discipling and encouraging the believers and confronting people with the gospel of Christ. And many were turning to Christ. Peter and John one day are on their way up to the temple and they see a man that they'd walked by many times and maybe even Jesus himself had walked by this man on the way, on the hour of prayer, sitting outside of the gate, beautiful. And as they walk by, they don't have any money, but he's begging for alms, but moved by the Spirit of God. Peter and John look at this man and said, listen, friend, silver and gold, we don't have any of that. But what we have, we give to you in the name of Jesus. Rise and walk. And they reached out their hand. He reached up his hand and immediately the power of God filled it, came into his life and his limbs came back to life. He had never, ever walked before. He's over 40 years old and he stands and walks and, and hopping and skipping and celebrating and went into the temple complex, created a huge emotion, commotion. They were like, we know this guy. What has happened? And Peter took the opportunity to preach Christ and said, by the name of Jesus the Nazarene, whom you murdered, but God raised from the dead, by his name, this man stands before you whole. And the, the, many turned to Jesus Christ. And now the number of disciples is over 5,000. Unbelievable. Peter and John are arrested, kept overnight. 
They're brought before the authorities, the Sanhedrin. We talked about this last week. They're threatened to no longer preach or teach anymore in his name. And they said, I'll tell you the truth. We cannot help but talk about him because he has changed our life. They told what about Jesus said, listen, you, he was attested to you. You saw him, you knew him, you tried him, you murdered him, but God raised him from the dead and he is Lord in Christ. There's salvation in no other name. No other name is given among men whereby you must be saved. They preached Jesus to them. Many others turned to Christ, but not the heart of hearts. So they released them, and they went back and gathered the church together and told them about all the threats, and the church began to pray, and they prayed for boldness. And the place was shaken, and they were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to preach the word of God with boldness to anyone who would listen. Amen? So then, Dr. Luke gives us sort of a summary of the conditions in the life of that church fellowship. Being filled with the Holy Spirit, what was it like to be a part of that church? Anybody ever looked for a good church that you would like to join? We all have, haven't we? Yeah. Have Anybody kind of been looking for that perfect church that you could join? Somebody told me one time, listen, if you find a perfect church, don't join it. You'll mess it up. <laughs> I was at a church uh, some, um, uh, a few weeks ago, and um, they had a sign over the door. I loved it. It said, a perfect place for imperfect people. Amen. <laughs> You know what? We're not a sanctuary for saints that got it made. We're a hospital for sinners. They're on our way, getting to where God wants us to go. And I'm going to tell you, they were filled with the Holy Spirit, and there were conditions. And when you look at this fledgling church, when you see when a church is empowered by the Spirit and they're walking after Christ, what are some of the characteristics you notice about that church? That brings us to our text today. Look with me to Acts chapter 4, beginning with verse number 32. You have your Bible? Follow along if you like. It's on the screen as well. Now, the entire group of those who believed were of one heart and mind. And no one claimed that any of his possessions was his own, but instead they held everything in common. And with great power, the apostles were giving testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And great grace was on them, on all of them. For there was not a needy person among them, because all who owned land or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid them at the apostles' feet. This was then distributed to each person as any had need. Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus by birth, the one the apostles called Barnabas, which is translated son of encouragement. He sold a field he owned, brought the money, and he laid it at the apostles' feet. Amen. Let's look at this passage of Scripture together. And First of all, notice the, 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 the unity that we find here. It's a picture, really, this description of what a church ought to be. Notice in, in chapter 4, verse 32, the entire group, some translation says the company. Other translations say the multitude. 
It was a large group of diverse believers, and they were all together. The first reference that we have by Dr. Luke to the word church is found in chapter 5, verse 11. That is the word ecclesia. And um, in Spanish, if you see the word for church, it's ecclesia. It is the church. It's, it's from this word. It means the assembly. It means those who are called out. They're called out of sin, called out of lostness, called out of death, and they're called into life. And they're called to be a part of an assembly, of a gathering of those who are called out to be God's people. And it's a large group. It is a a very large and, and diverse group of believers that are called out and they become what Paul calls the body of Christ. Now, this is an in, uh, I don't have a slide for this scripture. So if you have your Bible, I encourage you to look with me to 1 Corinthians chapter number 12. If you have your Bible, look with me. 1 Corinthians chapter number 12, beginning with verse number 12. Notice Paul's description of the body of, uh, of, of the church. He says, for just as the body is one and has many parts, and all the parts of that body, though many are one body, so also is Christ. For we were all baptized by one spirit into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, we're all given of one spirit to drink. Indeed, the body's not one part, but many parts. So we're a body. We're, we're a part of the family of God. In, in chapter number 12, verse number 4, it says there are many different gifts, but the same Spirit. Different ministries, the same Lord. Different activities, but the same God who produces each gift in each person. We are a part of the body of Christ. Tell your neighbor. You're a part of the body of Christ. And you're important. Now tell them, you're important. You're needed. (laughs) You can keep telling each other if you want to. You're needed. You really are. Because you're a part of his body, his church, and this entire group, this eclectic group. Listen, Do you think there might have been differences of opinions about things? Of course. Notice where this group is from. Look with me in chapter number 2. You have your Bible. Chapter number 2, verse number 9. You'll remember this from my preaching a few weeks ago. Notice when they hear the disciples preaching on the day of Pentecost, which is one of the major feasts in Jerusalem, People have come from all over the world. Notice, how is it that each of us can hear them in our own native language? Now, notice the people that are there. Parthians, Medes, Elamites, those who live in Mesopotamia, in Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, and Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, and the parts of Libya near Crete, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts, Cretans and Arabs. And we hear him declare the magnificent uh, acts of God in our own tongues. Unbelievable. God forms a church 
out of people from all over and he brings them into his body and there's a sense of unity that we're a part of the body of Christ. Isn't that amazing? Only God could do that. Only God could do that. We can't agree in this country about anything. I want us today to look at the blessing of unity. God brought them together in verse number 32. Chapter number 4, verse 32. The entire group of those who believed were of one heart and mind. Now notice the word heart here. That's the word cardia. Where we get cardiac, cardia, of one heart. What does that mean? That is the wellspring in the Bible. The heart is the wellspring of our being. It's the inner spirit of a man. It's the place where God works in the heart and the life of a man. It's, we say it in our own language. Have you asked Christ into your heart? What is your heart telling you? We're not talking about that instrument that pumps the blood through your body. We're talking about the inner working of your spirit where God is speaking into your life. They are of one heart. They were together. They were united in one heart. Not only were they in one heart, notice the other phrase, and one what? Mind. One heart and one mind. Now the word mind is the word suke. It is the word that we get psychology from. It's the word for soul. You could translate it to your soul. And it is the place, it is where you focus your thought and your mind and your thinking, not only on the inside of the heart, but in their mind and their thinking, they're united together in one purpose in carrying out what God would have them to be. In Acts chapter 2, verse 44, this early church is describing as being together of one accord. Amen. And so... um, Somebody said there was a car mentioned in the Bible. And I said, what's that? The Bible says they were all in one accord. And so uh, now it's not a Honda that we're talking about. They were together. They were together in unity brought about by the spirit of almighty God in their life. Amen. Amen. Did you know that Jesus wants unity in the life of his, his church? Amen? How many of y'all agree with that? Jesus wants unity in the life of his church. In John's gospel, chapter number 10, beginning with verse 16, but I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. Then there will be one flock and one shepherd. Jesus is the good shepherd. He says, I know my own, my own follow me. Just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down for my, my life for my sheep. So there'll be one flock with one shepherd. And Jesus, in, he, he, he brings us together. The shepherd of this church is the Lord Jesus Christ. And we're to be in unity under him. First Peter chapter 3, verse number 8, tells us, Now finally, all of you should be like-minded, sympathetic, You should love believers, be compassionate, 
and humble. So we're to be like-minded together in our mind. Philippians chapter 1, verse 27, just one thing. Live your life in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then whether I come and see you or am absent, I will hear about you. That you're standing firm. How? In one spirit, with one mind, working side by side for the faith that comes from the gospel of Christ. Amen. Folks, when we're involved in Jesus' business, it unifies a church. That was... Ava, thank you for saying amen. When we're together in the work of the Lord Jesus Christ, it brings the church together. Churches that get divided are churches who've gotten off mission. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 10 says, Listen, I urge you, brothers, in the name of the Lord Jesus, that all of you agree in what you say that there's no divisions among you, and that you be united with the same understanding and the same conviction. Amen. Let me just say a few things about this today. First of all, sin always divides us. Sin, Satan wants to divide the house. Satan wants to cause division. The Holy Spirit does not divide, but sin is the thing that divides us. It divides our hearts, first of all. When you sin, listen, it divides your own heart. When I go and I sin and I do things that I know that I should not do, when I feed my flesh, when I live after myself, when I disobey Holy God, when I disobey His Word, when I disobey... And you might say, well, I don't know if it's sin or not. If it's against contrary to the Word of God, it is sin. So listen, when you start living in contrary to God's word, in disobedience to the Holy Spirit, and you're going to live how you want to live, let me tell you what it does for you as a believer. If you're a child of God and the Spirit of God lives in you, and you've given your heart and life to Jesus, and then you start living a way that is separate and different than what Christ calls you, your heart gets divided. And it, and it, and it, it causes psychological Problems in your own mind. It messes up your thinking because you believe one. It's called dissonance. You believe one thing, but you're acting another way. And whenever that happens, then there's a dissonance. And so what you want to do is resolve it. Do I believe this or do I believe that? I'm acting like this, but I say I believe this. I need to get my life in alignment because I'm fractured. And it fractures your thinking. It fractures your relationships with others. It messes up your quiet time and your time with... Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, John said, we have confidence before him. But when our heart condemns us because we're living in disobedience, it has a negative impact in your mind and your thinking. Sin divides brothers and sisters. Sin divides us. I have a sister. (laughs) Believe me, I have a sister. She is a good person. Her name's Denise. I love her dearly. 
And, uh, and yet I know that we don't always think the same about everything. And that's because I'm wrong occasionally, according to her. But we are not divided. We are united. We can have diversity. God's desire, but, but not division. Sin divides us, but God's desire is unity for us. Psalm 133 says, Behold how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell together in unity. Now, how do I have unity when there's so much diversity in the life of the body. By the way, I am praying for our church that we'll become a more diverse body of Jesus Christ. I want Bethel to look more like the kingdom of God. I want people from every tongue and tribe and nation and people to be a part of our church fellowship. That's why we're on mission here and around the world and in inner cities and and fellowship and places. I, I met together this week with brothers from all over the world. My hearts were united. I, I was in a mission meeting. That we're talking about North St. Louis and how to reach it. Yeah, with guys of diversity, but unity because we're on mission together. A.W. Tozer said, listen, has it ever occurred to you that a hundred pianos all tuned to the same fork are automatically tuned To each other. Isn't that good? They are of one accord by being tuned. Not to each other. But to to another standard. To which each one must individually bow. So 100 worshipers meet together. Each one looking to Christ. Are in heart nearer to each other. Than they could possibly be. Were they to become Unity conscious and turning their eyes away from God to strive for closer fellowship. This is the problem. In our culture, people say, well, let's just don't be divisive. And let's just, you know, we need to be accommodating to this cultural stuff that's going on in a world. Baloney, fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. And then our hearts will beat in tune with our Savior and our Shepherd. Amen? Amen. But if we're walking in lockstep with Him, we ought to be together in unity. Amen? Sin divides a home. Sin would divide your home. Sin would divide your marriage. I meet with folks who having issues in their home and their family. Often they'll come in and talk about my needs, my preferences, my desires. They're competing with each other. They want what they want. They're no longer serving one another, no longer loving one another, no longer submitting to one another, no longer respecting one another, no longer getting. But it's all about... It's all about not serving someone else, but they're not getting what God's called them to do. But the focus is on what they're receiving rather than what they're giving. Sin divides a church. The sin of gossip and selfishness and politics and self-focus and organizational focus and 
the sin of my preferences and the sin of cultural norms. This week I was talking to somebody who said they were praying for a loved one had moved to a different area and they went to church and and that the first visit after visiting that church some members of that church came to visit and to this young person struggling to find a place and walk with God they first thing they did was grill her what are you doing with all those tattoos how ungodly to have tattoos on you People get more upset about holes in jeans or tattoos or wearing a hat in church rather than what's in the heart of each and every one of us. God forgive us. That's sin, and that sin divides a church. It's a cultural thing. Got quiet in here. Let me tell you what the Holy Spirit does. A Spirit-filled church is united because they're in lockstep under the Holy Spirit. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 3. Diligently keeping the unity of the Spirit with the peace that binds us. John 17, verse 11. Listen to what our Savior prayed for all of us. I'm no longer in the world, but they are in the world, and I'm coming to you, Holy Father, Protect them by your name that you have given me so that they may be one. How? As we are one. Verse 21. May they all be one as you, Father, are in me and I am in you. May they also be one in us so the world may believe that you sent me. I have given them the glory you've given me. May they be one. How? As we are one. Why did Jesus pray for the church to be united? Because he knows that the enemy will do everything he can to divide us. Amen? Amen. Second thing about this spirit-filled church, they understood the blessing of giving. Verse 32, Now the large group of those who believed were of one heart and mind, And no one said that any of his possessions was his own, but instead they held everything in common. Let's back up, please. Notice here at this, I want to take a look at a couple of these words. First of all, it says, not one of them said, not one of them claimed his possessions was his own. Are your possessions that you have yours? You know, I thought I had some certain amount, a certain amount of possessions in my life. I got my taxes done this week. It was surgical procedure. I'm calling it a cashectomy. I thought I had paid in enough taxes. Oh, no, you didn't. So the infernal, Internal Revenue Service decided to take some more out of my life. Not a little bit. A bunch. Painful. 
I was kind of mad about it. I was doing kind of the Jonah thing. I was finding a juniper tree where I could pout. I said, God, why don't you wipe out the swamp? We don't need these people. And if I, you know, the issue was, it's me thinking these things are mine. They're not mine. They're all his. All of it is his. I don't like the federal government taking more than they should, but it's all my Lord and Savior's. Amen? And I'm going to trust him. It says, they're one heart and mind. No one said any of his possessions was owned. You know what? What you have is not yours. It's God's. The very breath you have came from God. Your life came from God. Your salvation came from the Lord. It's not yours. It's from him. It's not my life. Jesus said, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth. Where moth and rust destroy and thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourself treasures where? In heaven. Where no moth nor rust destroy. Nor thieves break in and steal. You remember the parable that's found in Luke's gospel chapter number 12. There's a man who comes up to Jesus says, Teacher. Does this sound like family? Teacher. Tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. And Jesus said, Who, why do you think that I'm the arbiter of this thing? But then he says, watch out for greed. And he said, one's life is not, underline this, chapter 12, Luke, one's life is not an abundance of possessions. Your life isn't your bank account. Your life isn't the toys in your garage. Your life isn't the car you drive. Your life isn't your house. Your life life is not your retirement account. That's not your life. Your life is from Almighty God to you. And so he tells a parable. He said there was a certain rich man whose land was very productive. You all know this parable, don't you? And he thought to himself, what shall I do? I've got so much, and I've been so blessed. What will I do? I know what I'll do. My barns are full. I'm going to tear down my barns, and I'm going to build bigger barns, and I'm going to store my grain and my goods And then I'll say to myself, you have many goods stored up for many years. Take it easy. Eat, drink, and enjoy yourself. But God said, you fool, this very night, your life is demanded of you. And all the things you've prepared, whose will they be? And then he says, that's how it is with one who stores up treasure for himself and not rich toward God. Each one said they recognized that their possessions were not their own. Hmm. Notice the next verse, please. 
For there, were not a, there was not a needy person among them, because all those who owned lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what they, they were sold and laid them at the apostles' feet. That means they surrendered them and they're giving it to them, their authority. And this was then distributed for each person's basic need. It was this giving. They were surrendered, first of all, to the lordship of Jesus Christ. And so three things. Number one, they understood. They understood true ownership. Number two, they were surrendered to true lordship. And number three, they were moved by compassionate fellowship. They saw the needs of others and they responded to it. 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 3. Notice how Paul is writing to the Corinthians and he's using as an example so that they might be more generous in their giving the Macedonians. And he says, I testify that on their own accord, according to their own ability and beyond their ability, they begged us insistently for the privilege of sharing in the ministry of this thing. Verse 4. Oh, I'm sorry. Philippians 4. Still, you did well by sharing with me in my hardship. And you Philippians know that in the early days of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving except you alone. For even in Thessalonica, you sent gifts for my needs several times. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the profit that's increasing to your account. But I have received everything in full. I'm, I'm, I have an abundance. I'm fully supplied, having received from Epaphroditus what you provided, a fragrant offering, an acceptable saf- sacrifice, pleasing unto God. He said, you know what? You, you gave yourself to the Lord. Then you gave yourselves to us. He says, I know that you have given in severe trials and extreme poverty, and God has used you and blessed you. Amen. Let me tell you just something. There's something that happens in the heart of a believer. When we're in unity, we're following the Lord, we're obeying him. And secondly, when we realize what we have is not our own, and we start giving to help other people, I'm telling you, God just blesses your life in an incredible way. But the third thing about this church, the Spirit-filled church, was the blessing of witnessing. They were witnesses of the Lord Jesus. And um, notice with me, and it says in verse 33, the apostles were giving testimony with great power to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was on them all. First of all, notice there was great grace power, and great grace. Mega. It really, the word there for great is mega. Mega power. Say it with me. Mega power. And mega grace. Amen. Isn't that good? He says, first of all, he says, the apostles were giving testimony. Testimony to what? They were giving testimony to the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now, if you give test, anybody, has anybody ever been on jury duty in your life? Raise your hand. Some of us. Has anybody ever, I won't make you tell the story, have you ever been called to be a witness? Anytime. Hmm? Yeah, some of us have, right? And what does a witness have to do? Tell the truth, right? 
Chris, I bet you've had to be a witness, haven't you? But I bet you've had to be a witness before, haven't you? Now, you don't make up stuff when you go in there to be a witness, right? No, what do you tell? Tell the truth. Tell what I saw. Tell what you experienced. And then what? tell the truth as best as you can see it, right? That's a good, that's a good witness. What's a hostile witness? It's a witness that doesn't want to tell the truth. And sometimes the judge might say, you can be in contempt if you're hostile as a witness, right? Listen, folks, let's don't be hostile witnesses. Let's be alive witnesses telling people what Jesus has done for us. These apostles gave great testimony. What were they testifying to? That Jesus Christ is alive, that he rose again, that he is the Messiah, and that he is coming again. This is their testimony. We saw it with our own eyes. We knew it. Jesus Christ, we followed after him. We were his disciples, and we saw him tried, and we saw him abused, and we saw him lied about, and we saw him before Pilate, and we saw that they found no guilt in him, and we saw that you wanted him crucified, and we saw that they took him outside of the city, and we saw that they nailed him to a cross, and we saw that they put a spear in his side, and we saw that he gave up his spirit, and we saw that he died, and we saw him laid down, and we saw him as they pulled the nails out, and we saw his bloody body, and we saw that there was no life in it, and we saw his body become cold and rigor mortis, and we wrapped it up and laid it in a tomb, and they rolled a stone in front. We saw it. But we saw the stone was rolled away. We saw saw that Jesus Christ was alive. And we've seen him face to face. Jesus is the Lord. (laughs) Man. And people believed him. They were witnesses. And they proclaimed the story in the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. And this is the blessing of being a witness. Mm. Folks, you've got a story to tell. Your story. It's only yours. The story of what Christ has done in your life. Anybody here? Anybody here? Raise your hand, will you? If Jesus Christ has really changed your life, will you raise your hand? You know he has? Would you raise your hand? I know it. Keep it up. It's your story. Tell your neighbor. Keep your hand up. Tell your neighbor, I've got a story. It's a story of Jesus and what he did in my life. Will you tell your story? Let me tell you what the early church did. They were filled with the Holy Spirit. When the Spirit has come upon you, you shall be my what? Witnesses. Tell your story. They didn't have to have witness training classes. The Holy Spirit had worked in them. Testify to what you've experienced. Testify to what is true. And trust God with the results. Amen? Romans chapter 1, verse 16. I'm not ashamed of the gospel. It's God's power for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Folks, the results are God. 
I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God unto salvation. Paul said it like this in Corinthians, For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but it's God's power to us who are being saved. For it's written, I'll destroy the wisdom of the wise, and I'll set aside the understanding of experts. Where is the philosopher? Where is the scholar? Where is the debater of this age? Hasn't God made the world's wisdom foolish? For since God's wisdom, the world did not know God through wisdom. God was pleased to save those who believe through the foolishness of the message preached. For the Jews ask for signs. Greeks seek wisdom. We preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews, foolishness to Gentiles, Yet to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ is God's power and God's wisdom. Woo! That'll preach. That's the message we have. Let's share it. Amen? Let's share it with those who are lost. Hmm. Number four, the blessing of receiving. It says, great grace was on them on. Tell, tell your neighbor, that's mega grace. That, it's mega favor. It's the blessing of God. In Luke chapter 6, verse 38, listen to the scripture. Give, and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be poured out into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. Stay on that scripture for a second. Notice he says, give, and, and what's it say? Give, and it will be what? Given to you. Now listen, some people have taken this scripture and kind of perverted it out of context and said, you know what? If you give, then you're going to get rich. You know, send me your money, and now you'll become wealthy. You know what? That's not the, what this is teaching here. It's saying, trust God, give of your life, and when you give, the same measure that you give, you're going to get. Now listen, when you give, give abundantly, give generously. He says, give and it will be given to you. How? Good measure. First of all, when you give and you obey God and you surrender to Him, you give of your life, you give of your witness, you give of your testimony, you give of your work, you give of your good deeds, you give of yourself. You give of your possessions and your money and you help other people and you bless their lives and you support the work of missions around the world. When you give, you can't outgive God. He'll bless you incredibly. And this is what he'll do. He'll give you a good measure. That's talking about a measuring jar and this measuring basket. It's a big basket. And it's filled up to the top with measure, measured with like flour. All right? It's good measure. But not only is it a good measure, they've pressed it down. You know what? Sometimes I buy stuff that's been fluffed up, but this is pressed down so it's compacted. Not only is it compacted, it's shaken together so it gets even shaken down further and they press down on it. And then it's filled all the way to the top and it's running over and it's dumping in my lap when I try to carry it. It is an abundance is what he's saying. Folks, God wants to give you abundant, full, meaningful life. Open your life to Him. I wish I had more time to talk about that. Acts chapter 11. Remember that some of those during the persecution 
moved and were scattered abroad and ended up where? In Antioch, Syria. They are there, they're uh, witnessing and sharing the gospel, but there are some men from Cyprus and Cyrene. They began preaching the gospel to Greek speakers, to Greeks. And it says the Lord's hand was with them, and a large number who believed turned to the Lord. And a report about them was heard by the church where? At Jerusalem. And they sent whom? Barnabas to travel as far as Antioch. And when he arrived, he saw the grace. What did he see? The what? Grace of what? God. And he was glad and encouraged them all to remain true to the Lord with a firm resolve of the heart. For he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and faith, and large numbers of people were added to the Lord. Men opened their hearts, they opened their mouths, and they started preaching the gospel to Gentiles. And Gentiles started being saved, and the hand of the Lord was with them. And they sent to Barnabas, they sent to Jerusalem. Could this be true? Can Gentiles really be being saved? And they sent Barnabas, who was a man who was wise and filled with the Holy Spirit. And he said, I see the grace of God and the hand of God is upon them. They have received abundant grace. They've given in witness and God is pouring out his spirit on that church. Holy Spirit of God, pour out on our church. In our lives. Amen. Amen. The blessing they were receiving. When you give to others, you trust in God. When you open your life to others, you open your life to God. And when you are a blessing, you receive a blessing. It's God's divine economy. Last point. The blessing of receiving. Receiving into your life God's fullness and God's favor in your life. There was a prophet in Antioch who stood up not long after this. His name was Agabus. Agabus said, you know, there's a famine coming and it's going to come to Judea and the believers in Jerusalem are going to suffer big time. And Agabus told the truth. And the church was moved by the Holy Spirit and the church said, these are our brothers and sisters up in Judea, in Jerusalem, these Jews, Jewish believers. And they took a large offering and sent it by Barnabas and Saul And they carried it all the way from Antioch to Jerusalem to bless their brothers and their sisters. Why did they do that? Because they had experienced the grace of God and the fullness of God. Will you take your hands and put them out here just like this with me? Would you just do that for me? Just put your hands out here like this. Or just like this. Do you have your hands like this? Just imagine this is my life. This is all that I have to give. 
and I give it to you, God. Would you just do that? I give it to you. I'm telling you, my friends, when you give your life, expect and watch how he'll abundantly give back into your life. When you open your hands, you open your heart. Take your hands and do like this. I'll clench it. I'll hold it. I won't give. God cannot pour his blessing into a closed heart. Open your heart and your life and experience the fullness of his blessing and presence in your life. Amen? Amen. Father, thank you for your word. It's so powerful and true, and I thank you how you show us in this early church how you worked in them, and God, how you want to work in us. Have your way in our hearts and our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Would you stand with me? Come. Let the Lord have his way in your heart and your life. Don't delay. Don't put it off. If you don't know Jesus as Savior, there's somebody here today that wants to pray with you. And today you can find Christ and be saved. Today, if you've wandered away and you know you need to come back home to the Lord, God loves you. He loves you. And he can forgive you and cleanse you and give you joy again in your life. Don't wait. Today, say, I'm not going to live for me. I'm not going to buy the devil's lie. I'm going to live for Jesus and find the blessing and joy of real life. He's here. You come. Someone wants to pray with you. You can pray alone. Give your life to Christ today.